Hello and welcome to another edition of the Rare Possessions Podcast. I'm Nick Galetti and with me is the archivist from Book of Mormon Central, the Jared Riddick. Glad to be here. Now Institute Instructor, Jared Riddick. I just got called as a State Institute Instructor and I got into only t- I've only taught uh, one lesson thus far. <laughs> um, but it went over well. It went well and I was very happy and it was a really good, powerful spiritual experience to be teaching again. Awesome. I missed it since being released from Elder Scorn, uh, teaching Elder Scorn. Yeah, so we have uh, a two-part episode that we're putting together here, and this one's called The Proclamation of the Twelve Apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in uh, 1845. Is that the right? April uh, 6th, I want to say. April April 6th is when we show that it was essentially printed. Printed, yeah. Um, the actual authorship date and the history of it is quite interesting. What what do we know about the, the authorship of this document? This uh, edition of the proclamation was primarily written by Elder Parley P. Pratt and uh, then signed off of by the rest of the Quorum of the Twelve as a whole, um, which is not unusual, actually, for some of those early proclamations. Um, but this one is interesting because it was written according to Revelation. And we actually have that in the Doctrine and Covenants. And I was thinking it might be worthwhile to actually read through these verses. Yeah. The Doctrine and Covenants. It's Doctrine and Covenants, for our listeners, section 124, and I'll just read through that. Yeah. Verily thus saith the Lord unto you, my servant Joseph Smith, I am well pleased with your offerings and acknowledgments, which you have made. For unto this end have I raised you up, that I might show forth my wisdom through the weak things of the earth. Your prayers are acceptable before me, and in answer to them I say unto you, that you are now called immediately to make a solemn proclamation of my gospel, and of this stake which I have planted to be a cornerstone of Zion, which shall be polished with the refinement which is after the similitude of a palace. This proclamation shall be made to all the kings of the earth, to the four corners thereof, to the honorable president-elect, and the high-minded governors of the nation in which you live, and to all the nations scattered abroad. Let it be written in the spirit of meekness and by the power of the Holy Ghost, which shall be in you at the time of the writing of the same. For it shall be given you by the Holy Ghost to know my will concerning these king- those kings and authorities, even what shall befall them in a time to come. For behold, I am about to call upon them to give heed to the light and glory of Zion, for the set time has come to favor her." Call you therefore upon them with loud proclamation and with your testimony, fearing them not, for they are as grass, and all their glory as the flower thereof, which soon falleth, that they may be left also without excuse, and that I may visit them in the day of visitation, when I shall unveil the face of my covering, to appoint the portion of the oppressor among hypocrites, where there is gnashing of teeth, if they reject my servants, and my testimony which I have revealed unto them. And again I will visit and soften their hearts." many of them for your good, that you may find grace in their eyes, then may come to the light of truth and the Gentiles to the exaltation or lifting up of Zion. So this is where we have the revelatory instruction to go and, and do this in 1841, mm-hmm. right? And they're actually asked in verse 12, which I didn't read, uh, that the Lord appoints Robert B. Thomas to help him write the proclamation. Unfortunately, Robert B. Thomas would die uh, just a few months later. He died in August of 1841. But he did start it. He did start it, and the, the draft is now in the church archives, and I was not able to track it down for this. But it's a very interesting thing that this is this is started by Revelation, which is unique for the items that we have featured on this archive. <laughs> well, this Podcast. one's also, uh, it's one of the earliest proclamations. That's something that we hear happening a couple times nowadays, right? We have the proclamation of the family, mm-hmm. living Christ. There are documents where we see this united voice of the brethren that includes the first presidency. And this this is a little different. Just the Quorum of the Twelve, because the first presidency did not exist at that time. Yeah. So some may have assumed at this point that perhaps this was released when it was as a way to reassert the authority of the Twelve. I think that could be part of it. 
Uh, you definitely have some challenges going on to the authority of the brethren at that time. And this is definitely a way to let the members of the church know we are here and the Lord is still here and he's still with us. And they certainly were not uh, shy about how many copies they wanted to publish. Right. I think they initially planned for 100,000 copies to be printed in New York, which John Taylor was not able to raise funds for. So it was Wilfred Woodruff and the British mission who really had to spread this abroad. And they, they did translate it quite a bit, didn't they? Or? Into several languages. I'm going to bet into probably Spanish and French. Okay. Potentially into Danish as well, since the, we definitely had a mission going among the Danes at that time as well. Cool. But it was interesting, at the, which we'll cover in the next episode a bit more, but at the end of the proclamation, they definitely have uh, instructions for how they're supposed to spread uh, this thing, and they're calling on different newspapers to also publish it to their uh, to their audiences. Yeah. So we're going to go through the first half in this episode, and in the first half of this proclamation, which also is kind of different. I mean, we see the proclamation of the family's up page. Mm-hmm. This one's a bit more verbose. About 16 pages. So um, we're going to go through the first half in this episode, and then the next half in the next episode next week. But there are some interesting characteristics about this document as a whole, particularly wordings and terms and the context in which a lot of these things were couched. This is not an easy-to-read document through modern eyes. We need to understand some of the history. So what are a couple of those things that might stand out that could use some historical clarification? Now, I want to go scroll down a little bit because we're looking at this digitally. Um, Aside from how they spelled Elohim. That was different. With two E's instead of an I. Yeah. That, and the pronunciation works out roughly the same, right. but still throws you off a little bit. One thing that threw me off is they called their first founder Mr. Joseph Smith, who God raised <laughs> up as a prophet, as apostle. I'm like, yeah. I have never seen him referred Mr. to that Joseph way. Joseph Smith went to Washington. Yeah, that would be a good movie. I'd watch it. Well, I, I referenced the Elohim thing. According to the spelling, it's, you know, H-E-E-M, but it's also Elohim Jehovah. Yeah. Which is a curious way to describe the title being ascribed to Jehovah. So there's just some of these things that I think might be a little, um, it might catch people's attention as we're going through this that we just haven't standardized necessarily some of these words. Melchizedek the is also spelled a unique way at the end. Yeah, that's how they, I think that's how they spelled it in uh, the Salt Lake Temple when it appears in the assembly room. Oh, really? Um, it's, it's kind of more of a New Testament. I've only got to go through that temple version. Once. So, so. Um, it, it's just kind of how they used it. But anyway, fun well, little nuggets, right? Mm-hmm. Indeed. Well, they had some very interesting stuff about the gathering of Israel, yes. the gathering of the Jews, which will sound different to us today based on what we know now and what has happened since this was written, but not from their perspective in 1845. They're, they're, calling, they're actually commanding right. uh, the gathering of the Jews and commanding them to build up a temple and build up a government. And keep we to keep in mind, uh, Orson Hyde has just recently returned from his mission to the Holy Land, in 18, relatively recently in 1841, where he dedicated the Holy Land um, for the gathering of Israel and for the preaching of the gospel. So they had different hopes and ideas of how prophecy was going to be fulfilled for them. And it, the Lord had different things in mind for when that would happen and how he would put it in place. Well, he does say in this that, you know, he they are to prepare to return to Jerusalem in Palestine. Mm-hmm. And political borders may look a little different nowadays than they did at that time. And just some of the sentiment, but the idea behind what I think they were trying to say was we have the keys of the gathering of Israel and the land has been dedicated. 
we're we're excited to see the work move forward. Mm-hmm. That's what I took from it, even though the wording feels a little different than how we would say it today. Yeah. And it's powerful. I could kind of feel the enthusiasm and the love and the desire they had to move the work forward as I was reading through this. Well, we we look at the calling of apostle today and we say, yeah, they're they're to go out throughout the whole world and and share the gospel to the whole world. But this is how they had to do that back then. And literally, while they're writing it, Elder Woodruff is in England. In in England, yeah. And they are spread around. They are spread abroad. Yeah, so we are are seeing a slightly different way that the office of apostle is being in operation at this time. But it's this is how they did it. They didn't have the same means of communication. Uh, The church was much younger, so they had to issue these types of proclamations as a as a way of getting the ear of these political leaders. Yeah, they're only fifteen. The church is only fifteen years old at this point. Yeah, I was remembering that because he makes that they make a comment. I want to say on page four it says the Latter Day Saints since their first organization of eight, in, eight, in the year eighteen thirty. And I'm thinking reading that and it's like, oh wait, yeah, that's only it's just been a few years. It's been a couple of years. Yeah, eleven to, based on when they were told to start making. Yeah, and then yeah, fifteen for publication. And it's just it's interesting. So yeah, there's some portions in this where it talks about Joseph and and. Hiram being killed, there's persecutions that are discussed, the coming forth of the Book of Mormon and other prophecies. And so that's what you're going to find in the first half, and we're going to end it on about page 9-ish of the uh, the actual PDF document that's in the archives, and uh, we'll pick up after uh, next week mm-hmm. look with the rest of it. Proclamation of the Twelve Apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. To all the kings of the world, to the President of the United States of America, to the governors of the several states, and to the rulers and people of all nations, greeting. Know ye that the kingdom of God has come, as has been predicted by ancient prophets and prayed for in all ages, even that kingdom which shall fill the whole earth and shall stand forever. The great Elohim Jehovah has been pleased once more to speak from the heavens and also to commune with man upon the earth by means of open visions and by the ministration of holy messengers. By this means the great and eternal high priesthood after the order of his Son, even the apostleship, has been restored or returned to the earth. The high priesthood or apostleship holds the keys of the kingdom of God and power to bind on earth that which shall be bound in heaven and to loose on earth that which shall be loosed in heaven and in fine to do and to administer in all things pertaining to the ordinances, organization, government, and direction of the kingdom of God, being established in these last days for the restoration of all things spoken by the prophets since the world began, and in order to prepare the way for the coming of the Son of Man. And now we bear witness that his coming is near at hand, and not many years hence the nations and their kings shall see him coming in the clouds of heaven, with power and great glory. In order to meet this great event, there must needs be a preparation. Therefore we send unto you with authority from on high, and command you all to repent and humble yourselves as little children before the majesty of the Holy One, and come unto Jesus with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, and be baptized in his name for the remission of sins, that is, be buried in the water in the likeness of his burial, and rise again to newness of life in the likeness of his resurrection. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, 
through the laying on of the hands of the apostles and elders of this great and last dispensation of mercy to man. This Spirit shall bear witness to you of the truth of our testimony, and shall enlighten your minds, and be in you as the Spirit of prophecy and revelation. It shall bring things past to your understanding and remembrance, and shall show you things to come. It shall also impart unto you many great and glorious gifts, such as the gift of healing the sick, and of being healed, by the laying on of hands in the name of Jesus, and of expelling demons, and even seeing visions, and conversing with angels and spirits from the unseen world. By the light of this Spirit received through ministration of the ordinances, by the power and authority of the holy apostleship and priesthood, you will be enabled to understand and to be the children of light, and thus be prepared to escape all the things that are coming to the earth, and so stand before the Son of Man. We testify that the foregoing doctrine is the doctrine or gospel of Jesus Christ in its fullness, and that it is the only true, everlasting, and unchangeable gospel at the only plan revealed on earth whereby man can be saved. We also bear testimony that the Indians, so-called, of North and South America, are a remnant of the tribes of Israel, as is now made manifest by the discovery and revelation of their ancient oracles and records, and that they are about to be gathered, civilized, and made one nation in this glorious land. They will also come to the knowledge of their forefathers and of the fullness of the gospel, and they will embrace it and become a righteous branch of the house of Israel. And we further testify that the Lord has appointed a holy city and temple to be built on this continent for the endowment and ordinances pertaining to the priesthood, and for the Gentiles and the remnant of Israel to resort unto, in order to worship the Lord, and to be taught in His ways and walk in His paths, in short, to finish their preparations for the coming of the Lord. And we further testify that the Jews among all nations are hereby commanded in the name of the Messiah to prepare to return to Jerusalem and Palestine, and to rebuild that city and temple unto the Lord, and also to organize and establish their own political government under their own rulers, judges, and governors in that country. For be it known unto them that we now hold the keys of the priesthood and kingdom which is soon to be restored unto them. Therefore, let them also repent and prepare to obey the ordinances of God. And now, O ye kings, rulers, and people of the Gentiles, hear ye the word of the Lord, for this commandment is for you. You are not only required to repent and obey the gospel in its fullness, and thus become members or citizens of the kingdom of God, but you are also hereby commanded in the name of Jesus Christ to put your silver and your gold, your ships and steam vessels, your railroad trains, and your horses, chariots, camels, mules, and litters, into active use for the fulfillment of these purposes. For be it known unto you that the only salvation which remains for the Gentiles is for them to be identified in the same covenant and to worship at the same altar with Israel. In short, they must come to the same standard, for there shall be one Lord, and his name one, and he shall be king over all the earth. The Latter-day Saints, since their first organization in the year 1830, have been a poor, persecuted, abused, and afflicted people. They have sacrificed their time and property freely for the sake of laying the foundation of the kingdom of God and enlarging its dominion by the ministry of the gospel. They have suffered privation, hunger, imprisonment, and the loss of houses, lands, home, and political rights for their testimony. And this is not all, but their first founder, Mr. Joseph Smith, whom God raised up as a prophet and apostle, mighty in word and in deed, 
and his brother Hiram, who was also a prophet, together with many others, have suffered a cruel martyrdom in the cause of truth, and have sealed their testimony with their blood. And still the work has, as it were, but just begun. A great, a glorious, and a mighty work is yet to be achieved in spreading the truth and kingdom among the Gentiles, in restoring, organizing, instructing, and establishing the Jews, in gathering, instructing, relieving, civilizing, educating, and administering salvation to the remnant of Israel on this continent, in building Jerusalem and Palestine, and the cities, stakes, temples, and sanctuaries of Zion in America, and in gathering the Gentiles into the same covenant and organization, instructing them in all things for their sanctification and preparation that the whole church of the saints, both Gentile, Jew, and Israel, may be prepared as a bride for the coming of the Lord. And now, O ye kings, rulers, presidents, governors, judges, legislators, nobles, lords, and rich men of the earth, will you leave us to struggle alone and to toil unaided in so great a work? Or will you share in the labors, toils, sacrifices, honors, and blessings of the same? Have you not the same interest in it that we have? Is it not sent forth to renovate the world, to enlighten the nations, to cover the earth with light, knowledge, truth, union, peace, and love, and thus usher in the great millennium or Sabbath of rest so long expected and sought for by all good men? We bear testimony that it is, and the fulfillment of our words will establish their truth to millions yet unborn. While there are those now living upon the earth who will live to see the consummation, come then to the help of the Lord, and let us have your aid and protection, and your willing and hearty cooperation in this, the greatest of all revolutions. Again we say by the word of the Lord to the people, as well as to the rulers, your aid and assistance is required in this great work, and you are hereby invited in the name of Jesus to take an active part in it from this day forward. Open your churches, doors, and hearts for the truth. Hear the apostles and elders of the church of the saints when they come into your cities and neighborhoods. Read and search the scriptures carefully and see whether these things are so. Read the publications of the saints and help to publish them to others. Seek for the witness of the Spirit and come and obey the glorious fullness of the gospel. And help us build the cities and sanctuaries of our God. The sons and daughters of Zion will soon be required to devote a portion of their time in instructing the children of the forest, for they must be educated and instructed in all the arts of civil life as well as in the gospel. They must be clothed, fed, and instructed in the principles and practice of virtue, modesty, temperance, cleanliness, industry, mechanical arts, manners, customs, dress, music, and all of the things which are calculated in their nature to refine, purify, exalt, and glorify them as the sons and daughters of the royal house of Israel and of Joseph, who are making ready for the coming of the bridegroom. Know assuredly that whether you come to the help of the saints in this great work, or whether you make light of this message and withhold your aid and cooperation, it is all the same as to the success and final triumph of the work. For it is the work of the great God, for which his word and oath has been pledged, from before the foundation of the world. And the same promise and oath have been renewed unto man from the beginning, down through each succeeding dispensation, and confirmed again by his own voice out of the heavens in the present age. 
Therefore, he is bound to fulfill it and to overcome every obstacle. The loss will therefore be on their own part and not on the part of God or of his saints, should the people neglect their duty in the great work of modern restoration. There is also another consideration of vast importance to all the rulers and people of the world in regard to this matter. It is this. As the work progresses in its onward course and becomes more and more an object of political and religious interest and excitement, no king, ruler, or subject, no community or individual will stand neutral. All will, at length, be influenced by one spirit or the other, and will take sides either for or against the kingdom of God. And the fulfillment of the prophets in the great restoration and return of his long-dispersed covenant people. Some will act the part of the venerable Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, or the noble Cyrus, and will aid and bless the people of God. Or, like Ruth, the Moabitess, will forsake the people and their kindred and country, and will say to the saints or to Israel, This people shall be my people, and their God my God while others will walk in the footsteps of a pharaoh or a Balak and will harden their hearts and fight against God and seek to destroy his people. These will commune with priests and prophets who love the wages of unrighteousness and who, like Balaam, will seek to curse or to find enchantments against Israel. You cannot therefore stand as idle and disinterested spectators of the scenes and events which are calculated in their very nature to reduce all nations and creeds to one political, and religious standard, and thus put an end to the Babel forms and names and to strife and war. You will therefore either be led by the good spirit to cast in your lot and to take a lively interest with the saints of the Most High and the covenant people of the Lord, or on the other hand, you will become their inveterate enemy and oppose them by every means in your power. To such an extreme will this great division finally extend that the nations of the old world will combine to oppose these things by military force. They will send a great army to Palestine against the Jews, and they will besiege their city, and will reduce the inhabitants of Jerusalem to the greatest extreme of distress and misery. Then will commence a struggle in which the fate of nations and empires will be suspended on a single battle. In this battle the governors and people of Judah distinguish themselves for their bravery and warlike achievements. The weak among them will be like David, and the strong among them will be like God, or like the angel of the Lord. In that day the Lord will pour upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they shall look upon the Messiah whom they have pierced. For lo, he will descend from heaven as the defender of the Jews, and to complete their victory. His feet will stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which shall cleave in sunder at his presence, and remove one half to the north, and the other half to the south, thus forming a great valley where the mountain now stands. The earth will quake around him, while storm and tempest, hail and plague, are mingled with the clash of arms, the roar of military, the shouts of victory, and the groans of the wounded and dying. In that day all who are in the siege, both against Judea and against Jerusalem, shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth should be gathered together against it. This signal victory on the part of the Jews, so unlooked for by the nations, and attended with the personal advent of Messiah, and the accompanying events, will change the whole order of things in Europe and Asia in regarding to political and religious organization and government. The Jews as a nation become holy from that day forward, 
and their city and their sanctuary becomes holy. There also the Messiah establishes his throne and seat of government. Jerusalem then becomes the seat of empire and the great center and capital of the old world. And the families of the land shall then go up to Jerusalem once a year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Those who refuse to go up shall have no rain, but shall be smitten with dearth and famine. And if the family of Egypt go not up, as it never rains there, they shall be smitten with the plague. And thus all things shall be fulfilled according to the words of the holy prophets of old, and the word of the Lord which is now revealed to confirm and fulfill them. In short, the kings, rulers, priests, and people of Europe, and of the old world, shall know this once that there is a God of Israel, who, as in days of old, can utter his voice and it shall be obeyed. The courts of Rome, London, Paris, Constantinople, Petersburg, and all others will then have to yield the point and do homage and pay tribute to one great center and to one mighty sovereign, or thrones will be cast down and kingdoms will cease to be. Priests, bishops, and clergy, whether Catholic, Protestant, or Mohammedan, will then have to yield their pretend claims to the priesthood, together with titles, honors, creeds, and names, and reverence and obey the true and royal priesthood of the order of Melchizedek and of Aaron, restored to the rightful heirs, the nobility of Israel, or the dearth and famine will consume them, and the plague sweep them quickly down to the pit, as in the case of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, who pretended to the priesthood and rebelled against God's chosen priests and prophets in the days of Moses. While these great events are rolling on the wheels of time and being fulfilled in the old world, the western continent will present a seat of grandeur, greatness, and glory, far surpassing the scene just described. The Lord will make her that halted a remnant, and gather her that was driven out and afflicted, and make her who was cast afar off a strong nation, and will reign over them in Mount Zion from that time forth and forever. Thank you for listening to part one of the proclamation of the Twelve Apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Please tune in each week to the Rare Possessions podcast that you can find on iTunes or on SoundCloud. Please visit the Book of Mormon Central archive at archive.bookofmormoncentral.org. Thanks for listening to the Rare Possessions podcast. Music